You are listening to the podcast When Life Gives You Lemons, presented by me, Emma Levy. Having worked with elite athletes for most of my career, it's always intrigued me that a significant number of high-performing individuals have encountered some form of adversity earlier in their lifetime. My fascination into this grew when I had my own brush with adversity, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in May 2020, in the midst of the global pandemic at the age of 36. During this period, I questioned whether it was my positive mindset or maybe something deeper, which enabled me to bounce back and to train and compete for a triathlon just one month following completion of all active cancer treatment. The goal of this podcast is to explore this concept further by meeting a variety of high-performing individuals who have experienced adversity, but who have come back stronger. So today I'm welcoming Arishay Williams to the podcast. Arishay is the creator and founding member of JLS, one of the biggest boy bands of recent times. After becoming the runners-up on 2008's X Factor, JLS went on to become a multi-platinum award-winning band, selling over 6 million records worldwide, winning five Brit Awards and two MOBO Awards. In 2014, JLS took a break and Arishay became involved in writing, developing and mentoring other successful artists and even co-founded a management company amidst involvement in other projects. Arishé is also well known for his charitable work and has recently been made a celebrity ambassador of the Multiple Sclerosis Trust. He's particularly passionate about advocating for young carers, having been a carer for his mum from a very young age. Thank you, Arishé. I know how busy you are. We're currently sitting backstage at the O2 Arena where you're going to be performing tonight. Yes. So thank you for giving us the time. Um, I really do want to start at the beginning and I want to ask you about JLS because I didn't realise that you were actually the guy that set up the band. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't Simon Cowell, guys. <laughs> it, was, it was me. So um, can, can you tell us the story of how JLS came about? Yeah, so when I was 12 years old, my mother was diagnosed with a condition called multiple sclerosis. And myself and my brother came up with this idea of you know, trying to do whatever it took to find a cure for our mum. Our promise to each other was that I was going to become a successful musician. He was going to become some sort of medical scientist. And together we'd raise money and try and find a cure for our mum. Now, obviously I did become a musician and he graduated in biomedical science. My little bro, Temi. Um, But what we realized when, as we got older, that that kind of fairy tale, you know, that kind of imagination as a child that anything is possible, you know, curing mum and finding the cure for mum, you know, wasn't going to be as easy as, as we, as we, you know, hope for as, as kids. Um, but we did fulfill our promise to each other and mum is very proud of us. Um, and so, when I was around 16 years old, I moved to Africa for a couple of years. Um, I heard some of the best musicians I'd ever heard, heard in my life. I came back to the UK and I knew I wanted to put together a group. So before that, I was I was um, aspiring solo singer. But for some reason, hearing like the vocal harmonies and the collective vocals together um, and just having that kind of sense of team, I guess, um, and family, it felt like, you know, a kind of vocal harmony based group was the thing that felt to me like it was the right, you know, move at the right time. So I came back um, and um, after having the, that, that idea, I went out, basically advertised all around central London, you know, all in the music shops, universities, colleges, sent out messages to friends, put up adverts at that time on MySpace, if you remember MySpace, yeah. and um, said that I'm looking for members for a super group. I started studying groups of old. I'm talking about Boys to Men, Temptations, all the way to Batchy Boys and Jodeci and NSYNC, you know, and I'm, all the best band male vocal groups that I could find or performing groups that I could find over, over, over the years um, that history showed um, had something special. And in my mind, I was just trying to put together something that was a, had elements of them all in one group. Um, and so I knew exactly the qualities that I was looking for in each of my bandmates and I ended up finding them. How did you find them? Oh, well, yeah. Do you remember? It, yeah, 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 I remember, I remember. So I saw Marvin first um, 
on top of the pops when I was just in my living room at home watching TV and he came up in another band. And I was like, that guy's got mad swag. Like he could sing, got swag, could dance. You know what I mean? He had good vibes and there was energy from him that I was just like, you know, that, I need to find that guy. I need to see what he's doing. You know, I'm thinking even if he's in that band, could I take him from that band? And I don't know why I felt that way because obviously, you know, I'm just I'm just this little kid Arisha who ain't got no management, no music industry experience, no label, no nothing. I didn't even know what any of that was at that time. You know, I just knew that I was gonna put this band together and I, I knew who I wanted the band. So yeah, so I managed to find Marvin actually through a friend that knew him. Wow. So um we ended up connecting um and the audition was me meeting Marvin in Oxford Street and him singing to me down the road. And people were just thinking, these, these, these boys are crazy, man. Who are these, these guys? Just one guy singing to, to this guy. And um, immediately I knew he'll be, he'll be perfect for the group. So I was like, yeah, the fire. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I would love for you to be part of the group. Then I reached out to Aston on MySpace. Um, at that time, you know, I was looking for somebody who um, could, you know, had an extensive vocal range and also could do a few tricks and stuff like that. So I uh, hit up Aston on MySpace, he sent me his number. I gave him a call, he, at, the, at that time he was on the football pitch. And he, he was like, who's this? I was like, my name's Arishe, I'm putting this band together. I'd love for you to come come and audition for it, you know, if you're, if you're up for it. And he just said yes immediately. Wow. Um, and I had no money at the time. So I, what I was doing was there's a dance studio in Fulham called Dance Attic. And basically I, 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 I was holding auditions there by using one of the empty rooms, sneaking into the, the dance studio, pretending like I was, you know, uh, I, I, was, I was part of one of the, I don't know, the performances that were, or, or projects that were happening in the studios that time, which I wasn't, right? But I just wanted to, it, I wanted to come across a little bit more professional and not that I had no money. And, you know, I, I wanted to show, I, I, I didn't want them to think that, oh, this guy's got no money, no nothing. So uh, what are we doing here? Yeah. So I thought, let me just try and look a little more pro. So yeah, so I, I slipped into one of the empty rooms and I said yeah this is where we're holding the additions to Aston and he was like, oh you know he was quite impressed you know so anyway came in you know had he showed me amazing vocals and then then before he left dropped one backflip I was like yeah perfect dope so that was Marvin Aston and me Marvin Aston were a group for some time and then it just felt to me like it just felt a little empty I felt like I needed one more member for the group um, and I was telling the boys at the time that this group doesn't feel complete to me. Um, so I then, um, I th when I was at university, I, was, I went to university, London Metropolitan, Holloway Road, and next door is Arsenal Stadium. And they were holding auditions for the X Factor at the time. And so in one of my lunch breaks, or one of my lectures, I snuck out one of my lectures. So it wasn't lunch break, actually it was in my lecture. So I cut out one of my lectures literally went around the corner as soon as I heard that there were auditions. Someone said, Arisha, there's auditions being held. I said, I need to try and find the last member of my group. Mm -hmm. So I went down to the X Factor auditions. I was looking down the line to see if I could see anybody that might suit and see if I could, you know, steal them from, 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 from Mr. Cow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was no one that suited, um, but there was actually a talent agent that was scouting as well outside of the auditions. So I got speaking to them. Then I asked them, well, who you got on your roster? So they started showing me a long list of people on the roster and I stopped at um, a certain guy and I was like, who's that? They said his name's um, JB Gill. I was like, I need to speak to that guy immediately. Well, you just like the way he looks. I just thought he, 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 he to me, suited the aesthetic of the group. Mm. But then I started asking them about, you know, him vocally and stuff. And they said, oh, he's in development. He's really hard working. Do you know what I mean? He, they, already they were giving me a good kind of understanding of his character. Mm. So then I reached out to him on MySpace again, right? At this time as well, I was lining up pictures on my computer of each of us, in the, you, know, to, you know, to see if the visual of the group, you know, looked... Yeah. you know, right as well. Yeah. So I always, so I, for a while I had a picture of, you know, Aston, me and Marvin. So when I took JB's picture, before I even auditioned, I never told him this, before I even auditioned him, I took his picture and I lined it up next to Marv. And I was looking, and I was looking at it and I was like, Aston, me, Marv and, and Jay. Like, 
it, the group looked good on, on from my screen. I just needed to make sure the talent was there as well. So anyway, um, I did the same thing, um, like like how I auditioned Aston. Um, JB reached back to me after I messaged him, said I'd be interested to definitely come and audition for you. I said, okay, wicked. So we linked up, I snuck into the dance studio one more time. <laughs> you know, went into one of the rooms that, that, that were empty and no one was using. Um, JB came in and he just hit me with this bad boy for a set of, I mean, his vocals were crazy sky high. And I was like, wow, we don't really have a member of group that's got that quality of falsetto. And just, he, he was just very passionate song, uh, wanted to be, um, develop his songwriting. And, you know, you could tell that, you know, he was very focused and he actually had something that we were missing. And also he had a very strong ear for harmonies. So going from a three part group to a four part harmony group, you know, it, it makes a massive difference in the sound. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was singing and, and, and I asked him to harmonize with um, everything and anything that I, I was singing. So I would sing a line, do you know what I mean? The very first time that I saw your brown eyes, or whatever. And he would just harmonize with me immediately on the spot. Wow. And I was just like, whoa, this guy is, this guy, this guy is dope. So I said to JB at that time, I said, bro, you're definitely in this group, man. I would love for you to be in this group, you know? And he he said to me, you know, I'm, well, I'd love to meet the rest of the boys. So I said, look, come to the studio um, the following weekend. Um, it was either a week or two weeks after I auditioned Jay, but it was very soon. And I called up Aston and Marvin and I said, look, I, I found the fourth member. So if you guys can come to the studio, such and such date, I want to put everyone together. So then we all got together that day what year was this? This was 2007, I believe. Okay. Um, we all got together, looked in the mirror, sang together. And, you know, it was like, I can't explain, you know, I don't want to sound cliche, but the chemistry was undeniable. Really? Yeah, it was magic. You and knew it. Yeah, straight away. We knew that, that this group, we didn't know how far we would go, but mm. we knew that us as a quartet was, was, was the perfect vibe like it was it was the perfect lineup yeah and then just one year later you're at the x factor you're crazy. And, you, and you get to be runners up after alexandra burke do you remember the moment when you realized your life had changed so you know obviously we're talking about adversity here today so what you wouldn't believe and a lot of people don't know is that the night before the x factor audition i was very ill and we were um, rehearsing and I had no voice like when we were rehearsing and I was like boys I'm not going to be able to sing tomorrow and Marvin in particular was going no Reese, you're going to be fine you're going to be fine like he really wanted me to sing um, especially because when we were doing live shows anytime I'd sing um, you know there was there was always a reaction um, to my voice I think because you know I, had, I, I brought a soulful element to the group so for live it, you know that 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 contribution my vocal contribution to the group really had you know quite an impact and i feel like marvin really 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 was determined for me to sing and marv's like nah rish you got you you you've got to sing tomorrow don't worry it'll be fine he's gonna come it'll be fine so i was like oh my goodness so now there i'm shivering in my bed that night sweats everything i was like so ill and um the next day came and it was audition day now, like there's a question mark whether my voice is gonna come out or not in front of the judges. And this is the most important moment of our lives right now as a group to be able to get through this stage is, is everything. So we turn up to the X Factor auditions, so many people there, just crazy amount of people there. And um, when we went into the judges um, audition room, um, you know, they asked us our names and my, my voice came out. I said, Arishe. <laughs> it would go down the line. I said, my name's Arishe. Um, and my voice came out. But there's still a question mark whether the vocal would come out. Then we, then we started, so then they asked us to perform and we were doing Shy If I Ever Fall In Love. And when I sang, when we all sang and it came to my part and my voice came out, I was thanking the heavens and the stars. But I was saying to myself that 
in my mind I was going, this moment right here is 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 the moment, and I'm not gonna let my group down, and I'm not gonna let myself down, and I'm gonna make sure that I do everything I can for us to get through this stage. So my voice came out, and I just like I thank God. I felt like it was God that intervened, and my voice just came out. And then at the end of the performance, what was pretty incredible was that the judges all had their comments. And obviously, as everybody saw in the first audition, Simon Cowell um, picked me out to, 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 to having a, you know, a particular kind of uh, appreciation for my voice. Um, he felt like my voice really shined. And, you know, I think where a lot of people would be like probably bigging themselves up and whatever else. For me, all I felt was like I'm just, I was just happy that I didn't let my boys down. I'm happy that I was able to bring something to the table um, or I was able to perform in that moment. And the fact that he even pointed me out, I felt super proud because I was like, wow, I've just been through 24 hours of hell. Not, sh not sure whether my voice is going to come out or not. And not only did it come out, he actually, you know, he actually showed me some love. Yeah. So that was hard. You know, I, I loved that. And how was the X Factor experience for you? Because, I mean, recently in the media, there's been some criticism. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen people say things like um, they didn't have any, there's lack of consciousness of artists' welfare. The creators only care about making money. I mean, you guys get forced into making contracts without independent legal advice. You're kind of mentally abused, manipulated. It's, there's bullying. I mean, I don't know what you're allowed to say, but how was the experience for you? I mean, I'll say exactly how the experience was for me. And, and the experience for me was an incredibly life-changing moment for me. You know, everybody's got their individual experiences and mm -hmm. I can't talk on everybody's experiences. But for, for me and the boys, it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Like it changed our lives, you know, and you, you're going into a competition. And not only are you going to competition, you're going into a TV show. So there's got to be an element of understanding that it's going to be dog eat dog out there. And, you know, you have to be responsible for how you, you know, go through the process. No one's forcing anyone to stay in the process. Mm -hmm. So if you don't like what you're experiencing, then there's no, there's, you know, you can just leave. But for, for us, and I think it's harder when you're a solo going through a show like that because it's very intense every single week learning new songs new routines um you know a lot of commitments during that time it's a boot camp it's a fast track but a boot camp into the music industry because you're learning so many things that people would take people 10 years to to learn you're learning them all at once in a very in a matter of months and having to perform to the best of your ability and being in front of millions and millions of people and at the time that we were on the show i think the show was at its peak yeah. it, like the the numbers were insane it was the main television show in the uk families would sit sit together and watch it religiously um i watched it religiously before mm. being a part of it myself so it was it was the, the 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 part that was hard for me was actually not being able to be around for my family as much as i thought i would be or i wanted to be knowing that my mum was going through you know, this was a period, what was really difficult for me was, this was a period where my mom was going through the biggest kind of digression in her diagnosis of multiple sclerosis mm -hmm. than ever, than over all these years. You know, she had remained somewhat a little bit like stable over a certain time. But from our first audition, she was on crutches and and, 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 and I was trying to help her, you know, and she wanted to support me and be there for my first audition. By the time we came out of the X Factor, my mum was wheelchair bound. So there's a big deterioration in that period. Yeah, so yeah. you can imagine the guilt, yeah. the pain, um, the, you know, you know that's, that's what was difficult for me. Yeah. You know, although she was proud and she was happy and everything else, and she never complained about her health once or anything like that, which amazes a lot of people. My mom was a young woman when she was diagnosed and going through this transition. How old was she when she was diagnosed with MS? Well, I was, my mom's now 66 and mm. I'm now 30, what am I, 36. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
And so she must have been in her 30s, right? Yeah. Like, oh, if I was 12. Yeah. So you were 12. And do you remember the period when she got diagnosed? Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember yeah, what I happened? Do. I do remember. Like, when I, like, my mum, she, she, she was having a lot of MS attacks. So um, I didn't know what they were. Like, she was collapsing at times and on the floor and delirious, couldn't move her legs. And, you know, I would be there trying to pull her up and, you know, and get her into to a safe space. And, you know, ambulances come in quite frequently to our home. Um, you was know, this before her diagnosis or after? This was kind of, cause I didn't know what MS was, right? Yeah. So, you know, I didn't know what was happening. I was so young. Yeah. So I didn't, so in terms of her diagnosis, I don't actually, I can't actually remember anyone coming to me and going, your mum's got multiple sclerosis. Mm. Like, I, I don't remember that. Do you think that would have been helpful looking back? <sighs> I was so young, I wouldn't even know what it is. And people are adults and don't even know what multiple sclerosis is now. Do you know what I mean? So I think, it, I think having a lot more support would have been helpful, which is why I'm such, um, which is why I'm such an advocate and champion for young carers and, and young carers getting the support that they need. Because I think understanding, you know, what you're having to deal with and what's going through, what your loved one is going through is so crucial. Mm -hmm. Never really had that. It was almost like mum's just not well. And we just dived in, me and my brother and my sister. Really? Yeah. Was, was your dad around or not? Not really. Um, my dad was a traveling businessman. Um, and yeah, it kind of like, I ended up pretty much being the man of the house because I was the eldest. So you were only 12. Yeah. So how did that look like being the young carer for your mum? Yeah. How, how much were you actually having to do? So it was all the daily tasks, you know, um, shopping, um, cooking, cleaning, washing, you know, everything. Everything that she would have done for us before, mm -hmm. you know, I, I now had to do. And what I wanted to do was give my younger brother Temi and my, my little sister Naomi, you know, as they were growing up, I wanted them to have as much um, of their childhood as possible. Mm -hmm. Now my sister was very young, you know, which is very tough. How old was she? She's about 10 years younger than me. So, so she was two? She was just two years old. My mum had this baby that was two years old oh. and she was struggling to get through that period mm. right and it was tough because we had actually lived in the caribbean for a little bit when we were kids as well um and unfortunately my mom had a topic pregnancy mm -hmm. which which where and i've never told anyone this but but she nearly she 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 literally nearly lost her life um if it wasn't for you know me and my brother you know going to her aid my brother in particular who woke up and ran next door um because my mum was calling for us in the middle of the night. Oh gosh. And we were living in Tobago and it was a very rural place, like no one around, you know, we mm. were we were gonna grow up as Caribbean kids, like, you know, like in the West Indies. Oh wow. We were never gonna come back to the UK. Um, so not, not, you know, not to live, like maybe to visit, but not to live. Mm. Um, and luckily the neighbors called the ambulance in time and, and, and the, the hot, you know, got the medical professionals, um, you know, took our mum in and um, they, yeah. And if they said if we were any later, that maybe our mum wouldn't be around. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it was, it was super tough. Yeah. And really, then really is tough. that why you moved back to the UK then? Yeah. So we moved back to the UK because my mum wanted to be closer to her mum, uh, mm. my, my grandmother who's no longer around, but um, who came from, from Jamaica. Um, and my mum just wanted, to, I think she just needed to be around her mum. Mm. So we moved back to the UK as a family. And then, yeah, we, we, we then, um, you know, continue schooling here. Yeah. Um, but and being a young carer, what were the implications on your schooling? Oh, they were massive. Um, I was always falling asleep in school, tired from mm. my young carer's duties. Um, you know, I was like on my, at my books, but you know, my head was like down in my hands on my table. And, and also, yeah, just, other kids not understanding. Mm. So sometimes I'd find myself in fights and different predicaments. Um, Were you bullied? Yeah. I mean, if someone cussed my mum, 
because you know at that time going to school sometimes kids were relentless mm. if someone you know what you call cuss my mum like do you know what I mean if they insulted my mum or whatever else just as a joke business do you know what I mean that's for me that's like then we're you know I'm I'm, end, I'm ending up in fights I'm ending up in different things in school where that was so away from my character mm. because growing up I was I was a really soft boy do you know what I mean? I was quite a bit too soft. So my my parents put me in martial arts. My mom took, used to take me to martial arts, which I still do today, because she was like, this this boy needs to toughen up because I was such a, I was a gentle kid, yeah. you know? Um, and she could see that I probably, I'm easily bully target, easily walked over, you know? Um, they always saw that in me, very vulnerable, mm. very innocent kid. Yeah, and did you ever hold resentment for your siblings or for your dad for the fact that you did take the majority of the tasks? Um, yeah, I held some resentment for my father, to be honest, in all honesty. Um, uh, you know, which which I'm now kind of getting over. Um, you know, I've kind of got over it many years ago, but with my siblings, no, like my siblings, I think I've had moments of frustration where by I used to think to myself, look guys, like sometimes see, you know, what I've had to lead the way doing, you know what I mean? So maybe have a little, maybe, maybe just, you know, typical thing that siblings go through at moments you just want there to be a little bit of realization. Do you know what I mean? I don't need to thank you, but just realize, yeah. do you know what I mean? And, um, but what I've learned and what we've learned together over the years, and especially when, um, I did the radio documentary with BBC World Service, Kids Who Care, mm -hmm. which um, I spoke about some of my own personal journey in there. And that personal journey, I actually wanted my little brother, Temi, and my sister, Naomi, and my mum to be a part of. Mm. Because one thing we never really had is we've never actually had a dis discussion about how we all felt growing up. And I think from my perspective, I feel like I could have had a, a little bit more patience at times with my siblings because actually they were going through their own their own their own pain and their hurt and 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 what they were feeling by you know our mum not being well and my sister being 10 years younger than me and mm. being the only girl and not being able to do the things that mum and daughter would love to do yeah. they never had those moments very very tough but you were so yeah. young like where where was the state where was the nhs so the nhs they did provide like uh, booklets and mm -hmm. um, we had to administer med medication for our mum. So like there was injections and stuff like that, that, you know, should really, it should be adult medical professionals administering. And that was left to me and my siblings. That's a massive responsibility. A huge responsibility. My younger brother who, um, you know, is very courageous. He kind of led the way with administering that. Um, and, and which I, 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 you know, I always love him for because, you know, that was difficult. That was very mm. difficult, you know, to inject your parent, like, or your yeah. loved one, you know, it's crazy when I really think about it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we didn't have major NHS intervention. Like I'm still a big supporter of the NHS because I feel like we're very lucky to have them. Mm. I think, I feel like a lot of, you could be born anywhere, but actually being born in the UK and having that kind of support, you know, that we have, uh, you know, and it, and I think they're overrun mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time. And I think they're under a hell of a lot of pressure. Yeah. A lot of the time, unfairly, I don't think they get paid enough. I don't think they themselves are supported enough. Um, the nurses and the doctors being in hospitals over the years with obviously mum and, for other reasons, I've just seen them just, just they're just overworked. Yeah. And it's just, it's tough on them. So you don't blame, you don't put any blame on them for leaving you guys alone to look after your mum? Absolutely not. I, th I, th I, th I think everybody that's in the NHS and in the kind of medical field are there f because they are the most amazing, loving, empathetic, compassionate people. And so, for me, it's it, it, it's like the only reason why maybe sometimes they may have not been there in the way that we would have appreciated it mm -hmm. was because we were one of millions of people, you know, needing them and them may not have enough staff to be able to, you know, I guess 
be there for everybody, yeah. right? They're doing the best that they can do under the circumstances. And so I'm understanding of that. Yeah. And do you think things have changed now and the work that you're doing to kind of advocate for young carers? Do you think things have improved or do you think it's fairly similar out there? Oh, no, things have definitely improved. Not not enough, mm-hmm. but there's been improvement. Um, I had attended the Young Carers Festival that takes place yearly and I couldn't believe it. There was almost a thousand young carers that get for a number of days to just be kids. Mm. Like there's bouncy castles, you know, painting, poetry. I took a I took a spoken word poetry um, class at the festival. Nice. I don't know if you want to call it a class. It was more of an experience um, because I found my way of being able to deal with some of my emotions uh, through music, songwriting, poetry, anything that was like creative writing mm-hmm. was a big part for me in terms of my outlet. Yeah. And so I wanted to share that experience with them. Yeah. So we got a group of young carers together. We all sat around the grass, sat on the grass and sat around each other. And I encouraged them to come up with a spoken word piece or a poetry piece collectively everyone and then by us doing that they all felt even closer than ever before because it's like all of these individual experiences that are being shared and all come together to make this kind of this this beautiful creative piece and then they felt so proud of themselves and i felt so proud of them because they were like wow we've all wrote a poem together some of them had never written a poem before yeah that's amazing so it was it was amazing and then I remember um, the Children's Society, um, who uh, are a big part of the organizers of the festival. The Children's Society published the poem online. And there were so many, you could see so many comments and messages and people going, wow, Rishi, this is amazing. And I said, look, I don't want to take any credit for this. I just, I, all I wanted to do was prompt them and encourage them and just pull that creativity out of them mm-hmm. to say, look, just ex- you can express yourself and we can do it in a creative way. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And you talked about the guilt you felt when you were away with, with JLS and yeah. the X Factor and your mom deteriorated. And MS is um, a disease where they do deteriorate over yeah. time, don't they? So how yeah. do you cope with that now with your mum and the knowledge that she does continue to deteriorate? So there's, there's, there's two types of MS. There's progressive MS mm-hmm. and there's relapse and remitting MS. Um, the progressive MS obviously is the most... Um, it's, 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 it's the toughest mm-hmm. because obviously there's a progression of of health getting worse. Um, and yeah, it's it's been hard. Like mum has been stable for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of when I mean stable, she's wheelchair bound, her hands tremor, mm-hmm. and it's hard for her to be able to hold a knife and fork or a, or a cup steady to just have a drink of water or a cup of tea. Um, you know, she, she can't, she can't really walk um, at all. Um, but she used to do physio whereby they would help her with this kind of new kind of apparatus. They would help her just take a couple of steps down the hallway and back, mm-hmm. but all assisted. Um, and she, um, you know, mum's eyesight isn't the greatest anymore. And she coughs a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's hard to eat sometimes because she coughs a lot due to the neurological condition. Right. Um, last week was really tough for me because I went to see mum and um, her physiotherapist was there. And I took some time to sit with the physiotherapist and I asked her if she could give me a little bit of update where, where mum is. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in many years, she said that my mum started to deteriorate. Mm. super tough for me yeah super tough to the point where I didn't even tell my little sister really yeah I told my younger brother but I didn't tell my sister because I don't want her to hear that you know and so the first thing I did was it's crazy obviously I became an ambassador for the multiple sclerosis trust yeah um I was like wow I've just become an ambassador of this of this organization this charity that basically um, has so many facets to it. And one of them is 
um, having medical professionals um, actually help people who have, are diagnosed with MS um, and, you know, get, having some sort of intervention there. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the charity that I became ambassador for uh, recently, I'm now, having, I'm now looking to for support myself. Mm-hmm. I was going to be a part of that charity to support them. And I, it, for me, it was all about me supporting them and supporting their message. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize that I was gonna have to lean on them so soon. Yeah. And so I've had to lean on them because I said to them, look, I'd really appreciate anything you guys can help me with. My mom's multiple sclerosis has started to take another turn for the worst. So I just need some support. Yeah. I need some help. And, you know, they put me in touch with some medical professionals who um, I've, I've been speaking to and who are gonna come and see mum at some point and just see where she's at. Because it's tough, you know, like I know mum, you know, is in a place where, where people will be like, people might think, well, she's in a wheelchair all the time anyway. So if she can't walk with assisted walk with, you know, certain apparatus, down there and back and she can only walk two steps now there's no difference but there is a difference because actually you know my mom's a human being yeah of course and when being in that vulnerable position that she's in holding any last bit of you know uh, 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 um, dignity and independence is everything Mm. is everything if she can still hold a fork to eat and, and be able to eat independently, yeah. that's everything. Yeah. Things that people take for granted. And just because she's got a disability doesn't mean she's not a human being. Yeah. Just because she makes it seem like it's effortless doesn't mean that she's not thinking like, you know, well, I used to be well and I used to be able to do all these things on my own. Like she, she's a human being at the end of the day. And, and, and people that have been diagnosed with illnesses and, 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 and had, you know, different kind of health, you know, difficulties are still human beings. Mm. But what happens in, I feel like in society is that a few things, because it's not happening to you, it's like, oh, you don't feel it as much. But if it happened to you, or if it happened to someone close to you, suddenly, now the empathy is there. Suddenly now the understanding is there. Mm-hmm. But it feels distant. Yeah. But actually it's a lot closer than we think. Yeah. Because anything can happen at any particular point in life. Yeah. To us or those who we love. Yeah. And people forget that. Absolutely. And I always say as well, I think when I was ill, I remember being very acutely aware that I, I sometimes felt it was harder for the people around me mm. than for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's really hard for the loved ones around the person that's suffering yeah, because yeah. actually you're a bit less in control of what's going on. Absolutely. But, it's, you know, it sounds like you've done so much for your mum. And I, I, I mean, I'm sure she's very proud of you. I'm proud of her, to be fair. Oh. Yeah. I really believe that the strength I found was the strength that was that 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 was born in me um, from being a young carer, in all honesty. And this is what I tell all young carers every time I meet them, that ultimately the characteristics that they develop from their care and responsibilities would, will, hold them, will, hold, will hold them in good stead in life for anything they go through. And when you meet young carers, you find that there's a maturity way beyond their years um, that 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 sometimes you're sitting down, you're speaking to you know a 16 year old kid, and you're like, wow, you 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 know you sound so mature. You sound you've got this kind of very this maturity that that you wouldn't expect to be in, in such a, a a young person. And I know that for for me and my siblings, or my siblings and I, that that's what it's been as well. Like. You know, a lot of people have always said over the years, oh, oh, you guys are so mature. You're so mature. You're so mature. Well, it's because we've had 
major responsibilities that we've had to um, really, really grow up quickly in many ways which is why i try to keep my, my my younger siblings as young as possible yeah so i talk about a lot about resilience on this podcast yeah. and really what you're saying is you, you had that innate resilience because yeah. of what you'd been through 100 so do you think you were born resilient or do you think it was developed through your situation i think my resilience was definitely developed through m my young care and responsibilities and growing up with my and looking after my family as a very young kid mm -hmm. uh I, I definitely feel like resilience was born there but however is a part of resilience born in me yes i would be, i believe so yeah. the reason being was you know i'm half jamaican half trinidadian um so i come from a caribbean family and if you know the history of africa and the caribbean you know my i'm 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 um i'm a de descendant of of um of of human beings that were part of the slave trade and mm. had gone through a lot of adversities for me to be here today, sitting in the O2, drinking fresh water. Mm. You know, I, I I recognize that my ancestors had been through a lot for yeah. me to be here today and in the UK. You know, they had been through a lot. They had been through making it for, on, on the worst, in the worst type of environments on ships coming from Africa to the Caribbean, um, packed out, overpacked ships, and uh, 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 with with massive amounts of 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 of, of their people. Mm. So, do you think thinking about your ancestry helps drive you forwards as well? Definitely, I think not. I think not. I think when you know where you've come from, you can know where you're going, and I believe that a lot of young people, especially like in our country, and I'm talking especially in the African Caribbean community, I feel like they could really benefit from knowing their ancestry and knowing just what it took for us to be here today. Yeah. Um, because sometimes these things get lost in history. Um, and sometimes people don't really, they just think, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just here and you know, it is what it is. But actually there's been, been a lot of people that have suffered you know, in our lineage for us to be here today. Yeah. And I think about that. Sometimes I can't believe it. I'm on stage at the O2 Arena in front of thousands of people. Like this is the moment, this is beyond anything mm. my ancestors could have hoped for. They would have just, they were just fighting for, you know, for, for, for us to, to, to have clean water and, and, and food and, and, a, and, a, and a roof over our head. Yeah. To, but to be at to to be experiencing what I'm experiencing now, to yeah. do what I've done to the level that I've done, and and to keep going. I mean, this is like this would be, this would be beyond all of their dreams come true. Yeah. And so I recognize that, I recognize that, and I recognize that I'm somebody's ancestor right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 that's the truth. We are all somebody else's ancestors for the future. So everything mm -hmm. we're doing today. Um, whether it's this incredible podcast that you have um, and this incredible story that you have, you know, at some point, some member of your family in the future is going to be, wow, yeah. this is what this Emma person that's related to me, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, um, you know, had been through and done. So maybe I can get through this. Yeah, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Yeah. So so you've used that, your resilience, any other strategies that you've used, like tangible strategies that you've used to kind of get you where you are today? So I believe for me to be able to get through a lot of the adversity that I've got through, um, it's been, I've highlighted it as emotional therapy, mm -hmm. Um, psychological therapy and physical therapy. So, for me, the and and, and, and spiritual therapy. Sorry. So, the the um, the emotional therapy is me writing songs and 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 really, really being able to see my feelings or hear my feelings mm -hmm. in the form of songwriting, poetry, spoken word, music. That's, that, that, that's how I deal with my emotions. Mm -hmm. My psychological therapy is having great people around me, friends and family that I'm able to lean on mm -hmm. 
and that are able to show me that actually, you know, this this is this is a testament to your character. My aunt, my auntie, my aunt Carol, she said to me, you know, your character is is defined by the adversity that you go through and how you overcome that. Mm. So psychologically for me, it gives me a sense of, not that anybody wants to go through the things that I've gone through in my life, but it, it makes it feel like it's not all meaningless. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So psychologically, it puts me in a better space mm. because I'm like, okay, cool. I've gone through this genuinely for a reason. And now this is building my character to who I, who I am today. Yeah. And I'm proud of who I am today. Yeah. Um, physical therapy, as I mentioned before, martial arts. Yeah. My mum put me in martial arts as a very small kid. And I, I, um, I, 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 I never gave up on that. Um, my martial art has changed because I, I used to do karate. And I lost a fight in school when I got bullied by this kid. And yeah, and I realized that this this isn't working for me in real life. So I end up doing Muay Thai, okay. Thai boxing. Yeah. I often harp on about the importance of exercise yes. and the importance of movement and just physical therapy, like you said. Absolutely. Because it helps our mind as well as our body. It helps our it? mind as much as our body. Yeah. And I've learned so much about myself in that gym um, and as a martial artist. Um, and what's evident to me from speaking to you earlier as well is how important music is to you. Yeah. And then 2020, you had your JLS comeback. But I think actually it might have been delayed because of COVID to 2021. Yeah, yeah. But around then, when you came back and you had this comeback and you're standing on the stage or performing or making music, how did that feel to have come from where you were to where, you know, to where you'd got to? Um, at the time, my wife had just, this was one of our first, uh, one, of, one of our dates as well. And she, she came to watch the performance at the one show uh, where we performed outside and pretty much shut down the radio one area, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Um, it it was like, it was like, it was like I had climbed a very very steep mountain, and I'd finally reached the top of it, mm. with no threats along the way, yeah. no that I had before. You know, snakes trying to bite my ankles, and you know. Uh, tigers trying to claw at me and bears trying to run for me and I'd been through the, the, the entire journey and I'd made it out alive. Amazing. You know what, I mean? what is the future for Arishé? Um, so the future is is always going to be revolve around music um, and anything as an extension of that. Um, I had released my first single of my debut EP, um, Showdown, yeah. which came out recently. Um, and I can't believe the reaction to that. I can't believe um, that as we sit here today, I'm number five in the black music charts. Congratulations. Um, which, yeah, is amazing, you know? Um, it's, I didn't think I'd, I wasn't expecting to get recognized in any chart, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. I was just putting out music. So to be in a chart um, amongst, you know, incredible, artists within my culture, my community, you know, it, it feels real good, let alone to be in any chart. Uh, and so it's just, a, it's just, a, it just shows me that, wow, like, you know, it's tough being in a group and then transition into solo, especially when you've got the comfort of, you know, other people around you for so many years. Um, but it's something that I felt now that I'm ready for, for. Um, I'm ready for it. And my music is ultimately a fusion of my life experiences, my culture. Um, it, you know, you hear you hear West Indian, African, UK R and B energy, um, and with the reaction from the fans and the support that I'm getting from pretty much absolutely everybody, it's definitely encouraging me um, to keep on going. I've got some more records coming. Um, yeah, I'm constantly writing. I've got thousands of records in all honesty. Wow, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm ready to release it, release real soon. Oh, that's but yeah. super exciting. Um, final question I always ask 
um, my guests is if you could go back in time to when things were at their toughest, mm. what do you wish you could have told yourself? What a question. <laughs> wow. Um, when things are toughest, I mean, I've had quite a few tough times. But if I could go back to being a child when my mum was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which was going to be the thing that was going to change me and my family's future for, for the, you know, for the rest of our lives, I would have said to myself that don't be so hard on yourself because I was really hard on myself mm. as a kid, you know, really hard on myself, really thinking to myself, look, if I haven't done this for mum and it's not, it's, you know, or done that good enough, then, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at my best or I'm not, I'm not doing enough. Mm. I was very hard on myself. I always thought I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't doing enough yeah. for mum. But actually she was like, you're doing way more. Yeah. Sounds like you you went above and beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she, she really made me reassure me of that. Mm. But I guess when you still see her struggle as a kid, you're like, well, it's not enough. It's never enough. So yeah, I would have told myself, Arisha, don't be so hard on yourself. Mm. Don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, being hard on myself, obviously I had pushed to achieve everything that I've achieved today. I dug really deep down inside of myself to with a, a relentless amount of determination, yeah. you know, and, and work ethic, um, but just too hard on myself. And so now what I do is I enjoy moments a lot more. Mm. Um, you know, I, I enjoy moments a lot more. So this tour, I've been having the time of my life. Nice. Um, so the solo record coming out, showdown, and um, and all of the little—not little actually—my wife keeps on telling me to remind, to remind myself that the moments that you know I say that I modestly say, oh, they're small moments. Actually, they're big moments, especially with the solo record and all of the wins that I've had so far with it. Um, and so I just I celebrate those things. Yeah. And it's exciting. Yeah. Thank you, Arisha. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for being Thank such you. a superstar. Um, before chatting today, um, for me, you were just one of the members of JLS. And then I now realize you are much more than what we see on social media, what we see on mm. TV, and your charitable endeavors are commendable. And I just look forward to seeing how you can use your platform to make changes to young carers' lives, as well as raising awareness for multiple sclerosis. So thank you so much, Arisha. Thank you, Emma. <laughs>